And before we go into off the hook again, a reminder once again, please consider becoming a financial supporter to this radio station by calling 212-209-2950. January 8th marked 63 years of WBAI being part of the Pacifica Radio Network and giving you that you Pacifica uh, perspective in the NYC area and beyond by going to WBAI.org. We would like to continue with that, but it can only happen with help from listeners. 212-209-2950 or go to give to WBAI.org online. Now stay tuned for Off the Hook coming up. You have not entered a valid code. Please hang up and dial again. 078-T. Thank you for listening to Off the Hook. The telephone keeps ringing, so I ripped it off the wall. I cut myself while shaving, now I can't make a call. We couldn't get much worse. Delightful Wednesday evening, and uh, joined tonight by Kyle. Yeah, I'm over here. And we have Rob T. Firefly. Good evening. And we have um, we have Alex over in Skypeland. Good evening. And special guest um, rejoining us after a period of, um, I think, 14 years is Arsene. Arsene, are you there? Hey. How you doing? Welcome back. Last show Thank you did you. with us was in 2008. How did you find that out? Uh, I looked it up. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> the internet is, is, is a treasure trove of information, and uh, that was the last show that um, uh, that uh, we, we saw you on, unless, unless you called in or, or, or just dropped in casually. 
But uh, you've been you've been living in a rather interesting place um, over the past um, uh, decade or so. You want to tell us anything about it? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I've been living in Russia. I had to uh, relocate recently. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, kind of moved there after um, I've been been living there for five years more or less. Um, just uh, I have a company that uh, used to have operations in Russia, so uh, I spent a lot of time there and. Uh, I work in, uh, we make mobile games, so I'm still in tech. Um, but I mean, like, uh, I guess it, you know, listeners might be interested, like, what's what's going on there? Yeah, we, we hear other things are happening over there as well. Yeah, let me just yeah. say, I'm, I'm so happy that you're out of there. Uh, I was talking to you for a while. You were still there. I was very worried that things might uh, get even more tense. But it's it, it's good to have you back over here, at least for now. Yes, I'm now in New Jersey, a really nice place. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, being being there, um, I'm, I'm ethnically Russian, so for me it's like, you know, a second home. Um, but I mean, like, you know, this isn't a political show, but this is more a, about tech. And I think, like, the two main things that, that are really different and, and maybe something that I had to get used to uh, being outside of Russia is, like, like the banking system there is really nice in terms, you know, from a consumer point of view, you know, which is weird because, you know, Russia is like ex-communist, you know, they mm-hmm. don't have banks. You know, you can you can send you can send money just to phone numbers. So so every everyone is very used to having the ability to do electronic funds transfer, um, you know, for as little as, you know, pennies. And then you get here and then what is it? Uh, Zelle or uh, whatever the other one is. And then you have to write what the money's for. What? Uh, yeah, I don't know if they check, but <laughs> it is uh, something that's a little bit different over here. It's, it's very different, but but it's um, I guess what I'm getting at is it's it's kind of a, a a mindset difference where if you are thinking, hey, it's you know I can I don't even need to carry cash around. Um, but I think the more interesting one, many more relevant one that you know I can bring up and um, it is like this right to repair. Um, and it's like in the U.S. or in, you know in, in in normal countries, Western Europe, um, there it's like this whole thing. You buy something and you can't and you can't get original parts to fix it yourself, and that's just so ridiculous. And I can't believe that you know we have to talk about this. Um, and it, kind of in Russia, the mindset was always like, if this is my thing, well, you know, I shouldn't buy a new one. I'll just fix it. I'll fix the one that that you know whatever isn't isn't working. And and that goes you know outside of it goes to clothing, cars, whatever. But um, there was always, you, you know, we have we have we have a, a game company, a lot of employees, and like we work on some sophisticated equipment. And it's like I can just bring that to some guy, and he'll fix, you know, these drawing tablets that I I don't know what parts are now, but he fixes, you know, they were fixed without original parts. Mm-hmm. Maybe with original parts, I don't know. But it's like it's it, again, it's a different approach to the the problem. It's like, well, like you know, original parts, whatever. Um, and then it kind of like after around the time when I was on uh, uh, off the hook, you know, I was I was into the ma- makerspace scene and, and stuff. And like, there's no there's no hack spaces and, and make spaces in, in Russia because like everyone has one in their house basically. It's like a given. Um, and and that's kind of like that. That's a different point of view. I I thought that was very interesting, and and I'm 
looking forward to when things get back to normal so I can spend some more time there. Uh, me too. You know, I, I, I would like to uh, uh, get back in touch with people over there. And, um, uh, but, you know, there's, there's a way to go. But that's, that's fascinating about right to repair. Uh, I know, you know, when I went to Cuba, um, obviously uh, you, you can't get parts there for, for different reasons. Uh, and, and people fix their cars using all kinds of material that was just lying around. And these are cars from the 50s and the 40s. Uh, so um, uh, they're able to do that. With today's modern cars, of course, that's uh, pretty much been rendered impossible because if you don't have the computer codes, um, you're up a creek. But um, it's it's interesting to, uh, to to think about it along those uh, those terms. Um, Alex, uh, Rob, did you have any anything to uh, ask? No. Okay. How about I do. you, Kyle? <laughs> well, you got to answer in less than ten seconds. Kyle first, and then then Alex. I was just wondering, do um, do older items tend to last or stay around longer as a result of the repairing going on and less? Dis- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's like you. The, the, I mean, the striking thing was like people would have, you know, people wouldn't replace things frequently, and like, of course, you know, you want the new fancy TV, but um, there's all all these other things in your life that. There's there'll be a guy who'll fix it. They even have uh, sneaker or like shoe cleaning places. And like you know, if you're into sneaker culture, it's nice to clean your sneakers. But like there's a there's like a handful of sneaker cleaning places around uh, where, where I'm living. It's a very interesting kind of diff- different mindset um, that I that I I think is just internationally welcomed. Yeah, that's a great spirit. Uh, just to you know keep waste uh, out of. <laughs> Keep the life cycle like extending instead of creating more waste in the uh, the uh, the life cycle of stuff. Do they clean the sneakers while you wait, or do you have to come back? Well, no, you know, Russia's not perfect. So I remember I gave my sneakers in, and I came back, they messed up the order, and they're just like, "Oh, here you go, you don't have to pay." Okay, <laughs> how'd they mess it up? <laughs> what they do? I, I, he forgot that I never paid. Wow, because it's so easy to pay. You like, you just send the send the guy on his phone number a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that's uh, organized well, no, chaos I, yeah alex go ahead i i didn't expect to be talking about shoes tonight but i i do see that how the lack of cobblers especially in manhattan i mean there's they're almost non-existent could be some kind of cultural bellwether with respect to the right to repair or or and give you some kind of idea about a, a culture's um or rather the relevance of repairing items and, and the significance of, of how throw or, or sort of disposable items are to a culture. Um, because I'll tell you, I mean, there used to be a, a cobbler right near my apartment in Manhattan, and it's, it's been gone for over 10 years now. Now it's very hard to find someplace that will fix a shoe or, you know, mend your leather or something. So I can see how that's it's just a, a different mentality. But anyhow, Arsene, it, it I think you and I might have been in touch like ten years ago or something. I haven't. Uh, but where have you been in Russia? Like, no. So where where exactly were you? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was. I've been in Saint Petersburg. Um, and for folks unfamiliar, so Russia has a couple major cities, um, but Moscow is very very big, and and Saint Petersburg is the second biggest. And then there's some other countries. I some other cities. I don't know. Um, but St. Petersburg is, is very European looking. It has this big Swedish background. Um, and it's, it's perfect to have a creative or used to be perfect to have a creative company. There's a lot of artists, a lot of universities for, for, uh, art and, and tech as well. Good spot. I don't know how I know you, Alex. Did I ever get in jail? Did I ever go to prison? You have to help me out. 
I think you might have actually helped me out. You might have helped me out with something like 10 years ago where I needed some connections in Russia for uh, an investigation. I'm, I'm almost positive it was you. Yeah, uh, is is something. But um, yeah, Saint Petersburg is is absolutely awesome. All right, let's put a stop to that right sure. now because uh, yeah. we, we don't know what you're saying. Uh, I, I want to welcome Gila, who has uh, arrived courtesy of the New York City subway system, <laughs> which I believe was was holding her for a while. Um, and uh, just for her her edification, we are joined tonight by Arsene, former co-host of Off the Hook from uh, at least 14 years ago. So welcome. I guess this is the show where nobody talks. Okay. Um, well, I have a story here, <laughs> um, which I thought was kind of interesting, uh, about, um, about Twitter. Uh, you might have heard about this. There's a bit of a problem, <laughs> another problem, uh, with, um, uh, users having a lot of their data, um, compromised. Twitter put out an interesting notice today. I don't know if you, you folks saw this, but, um, it was actually in the form of a tweet, um, and it led you to a web page. Uh, that was entitled Update about an alleged incident alleged incident regarding Twitter user data being sold online. I, I don't think it's alleged. I think that is really happening. Um, they say, we take our responsibility to protect your privacy very seriously. In response to recent media reports of Twitter users' data being sold online, we conducted a thorough investigation, and there was no evidence that data recently being sold was obtained by exploiting a vulnerability of Twitter systems. And then there's a, um, a section right after that called What Happened. I'm going to um, read you the very beginning of that. As we um, previously informed um, uh, users in August 2022, in January of 2022, we received a report through our bug bounty program of a vulnerability in Twitter's systems. As a result of the vulnerability, if someone submitted an email address or phone number to Twitter systems, Twitter systems would tell the person what Twitter account these submitted email addresses or phone number was associated with, if any. Um, this bug resulted from an update to our code in June of 2021. Uh, when we learned about this, we immediately investigated and fixed it. I, 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 I go back to the statement they made um, today, saying that there is no evidence that any of this was obtained by exploiting a vulnerability of Twitter systems. And in the very next paragraph, they say this happened through a vulnerability in Twitter's systems. What am I missing here? They're contradicting each other in their own press statement. And anyone have any thoughts on this? Um, yeah, it just uh, it just seems like they're not quite sure what's going on. And uh, that seems consistent with what we know about the state of their workforce at the moment. Um where they've still, I don't, I don't think they've come back from uh, when they laid off a bunch of their staff, kind of haphazardly and in ways that are engendering all sorts of uh, responses and possible legal action against Twitter. So, uh, yeah, we don't know who's there to check on these things or maintain these things, and uh, it's it's all a bit of a mystery. And it seems it's a mystery even to them. But this is simple proofreading. It's just it's simply looking at what you're saying and then looking at what you're saying in the next paragraph and seeing if you're saying the opposite. In that second paragraph. Now, I, I don't have the number in front of me, um, but it was in the hundreds of millions, I believe, of users that had their um, private information um, uh, compromised and currently being sold somewhere. Is, it, is that, does that seem about right? Does anybody have the, the actual number? I don't have the number in front of me, but uh, just to put out there, you can check to see if you're in this uh, latest data set of uh, leaked data by going to haveibeenpwned.com. That's have I been P W N E D dot com um 
and put in your email address that you use with your Twitter account, and uh, you'll see what happens. Um, I think the vast majority of the people that I've asked uh, who use Twitter, including myself, including Gila, who's just arrived, um, we we all we all are in that data set. I'm seeing uh, over 400 million instances of uh, of uh, user data being compromised, supposedly. So I just check that I'm in it. I'm also in some weird Russian database. <laughs> I'm sure you're in a lot <laughs> yeah. of weird databases. Twitter, 200 million, uh, 2023. Yeah, wow. That's a lot. That's a big deal. And, you know, the thing is, though, it's, it's, it's you know, social media. Um, I wouldn't really give information on there that I wouldn't expect to be compromised at some point. The thing that worries me, a lot of people uh, rely on Twitter uh, for private communications. I, I've... I've had activists, you know, in touch with people who are doing very sensitive things, say, yeah, I only communicate through DM on Twitter. And it just doesn't seem safe. And this is the kind of thing that can easily be compromised. And um, and, and you could have all sorts of information you don't want to get out um, revealed. Uh, I'll also add to that, Emmanuel. I think, you know, one of the things that we've talked about time and time again on this show is that Twitter is a social media platform, but it has been used for you know, everything from the dissemination of legitimate news to interactions between nuclear powers. You know, I mean, you have negotiations and talks happening between world powers on Twitter. And so a lot of these politicians and a lot of people who may be in the diplomatic services also rely on Twitter for private communications. And I've seen... In, in my research and, and in many investigations, I've seen really, really sophisticated targeting of Twitter accounts for uh, for breaches and compromise because people want to get into those DMs. So, you know, this makes it easier. And, and on the other hand, <clears throat> we also get so desensitized to all of these data breaches and the large numbers that we see associated with them. But we forget that for every one of these breaches, there's already a pre-existing massive amount of data that has been exfiltrated <clears throat> excuse me, from other companies. And when you combine all of these data sets together, you can begin to piece and, and weave together a mosaic about somebody's life, perhaps, if that's what you're looking for. And all of this breach data, all of this exfiltrated data, once you combine it, you add it to, I mean, I don't want to use too many buzzwords, but you know, now we're... We're in this age of artificial intelligence and machine learning and data mining is becoming easier and easier and easier. So, you know, once you once you have all of this data out there, you know, you, you can never put it back. It's very, very difficult for an individual then to reclaim uh, control over uh, these types of data sets or, or have an additional measure of control over, you know, what he deems to be the, the private details of, of their life. So you have all these this legislation that come coming out, you know, in California, you have the California Consumer Protection Act, you have all these different state laws that are designed to protect the privacy of individuals, but there's no reining this back in once the data is out there. It's a, it's a problem that's going to exist forever. Very true. And um, we're in control of how much data we put out there about ourselves. We're in control about whether or not we give them actual phone numbers, actual addresses, actual political affiliations. You can lie. It's okay. You can lie on social media. You can lie to strangers. Uh, it's it's. Um, we, we don't have to make our lives an open book. And I, I, I fear so many people have done that, just assuming that they can extend the same level of trust to the entire world that they do to their own close circle of friends. The world doesn't work that way. Yes, Rob. 
But even in terms of that, though, like this breach, uh, it seems it consists of. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. It consists of the public information you put out there on your social media by choice. But uh, the one main piece of information that's non-public that can be attached to that with this latest breach is your email address. It's the email address you use with your Twitter account, and that's not normally published online by Twitter. So uh, those pe- those people who don't want their email addresses out there want to be left alone. Um, they're the ones that are going to be hit by this latest breach. Well, let's think of a way to defend ourselves against that in the future. Can we have uh, perhaps a system that forwards email uh, to a different address? You give uh, Twitter um, a, a, a dispensable address that forwards to where you really are, and that way you can reply uh, or you can you can um, enter the code that they send you, and they don't actually have your real email address. Does that, does that seem something um, that we could um, feasibly do? That that's something I do, in fact. Uh, but um, my 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 uh, my various accounts and things come in uh, at different addresses that uh, forward to my actual one I use. But uh, still, in that case, like people can email me with the address that's on my Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any other suggestions on on this? We're gonna move on. I would just suggest people obfuscate, um, especially if you're a newcomer to these powerful powerful platforms. It's uh, it's important to do um, just little things here and there, just to just make it uh, less uh, less straightforward. I think that's the best advice I can give. But Alex is right. There's so many advanced tools and uh, techniques being used now that it kind of kind of it, se- it seems a bit futile. I mean, you can cover basic stuff, I think, but you should have an expectation that interacting on these platforms you benefit because you can can um have interactions with people you'd never ordinarily uh meet or you know maybe they're in um uh high positions or something you know that that um is part of the risk the cost benefit and you should evaluate that for yourself you know what kinds of risks uh you might face and how would you handle that if it didn't if it stopped being fun can can you think of um, a simple example of obfuscation that let's say somebody's listening now who's uh, about to take the dive into social media, say get a Twitter account or something like that? Is there any advice you can give them? Something specific? Do this instead of doing that, which is what you're expected to do. Yeah, like make make any like um, personal stuff off by one, whatever it is, like, you know, off by 10, like gender or, or whatever it is, Uh you know, make it very wrong as much as you can. Like what kind of thing would you make wrong? Um, I, I don't want to like say all the things I would do because quite obviously that's me revealing things about, you know, how I handle my own, um, presence online. Mm -hmm. But like I said, you know, try to, try to, um, Try to do things that you'll remember because mm-hmm. you can lose track of stuff like that, especially if it's spanning multiple accounts. But just don't be afraid, like you said, to to um, make it believable, mm-hmm. but wrong, like very wrong. Okay, That's all I'm saying. Uh-huh. Like like if if uh, if they're asking where you live or something, you basically go one county over, maybe. Yeah, or or why do they put, need to know that? Put some wisecrack thing, you know, uh, uh, or um, yeah, like or a, a national park. You know, people do it all the time. But I think just be playful. I mean, that was the whole thing when people started um, 
using different social media things. And this is something that I know Aesthetics has talked about. He had a great talk at Hope years ago called Nim Wars. Um, and it's, it's all about using handles and using, um, uh, a name other than your own. This is so like, mm-hmm. um, core to hacking, like all the way down, like IRC, yeah, handles. hacker handles, mm-hmm. uh, finding information. You have to not be yourself in order to at least sort of interact with everybody else. And if everybody knows you by that other handle, that's how you interact as a community. And you don't necessarily ever have to bring your your real persona into it to get information and to learn and grow as a hacker. So I think we need to like kind of remind people that that still applies, mm-hmm. even if it's like, you know, some job seeking website, you know, social job seeking thing, um, you know, even that, like, you can still network and make connections and, and eventually say, like, oh, yeah, that's uh, it's not exactly right, but, you know, you've already got your foot in the door, that kind of thing. Like, it should be built around, um, you know, the kind the, the comfort level you have. And, and, again, you know, you can make it super believable, but it's, don't be too um, forthright. It's just strange, though. Uh, we live in a society where uh, there's suspicion around every corner. We don't trust anybody that we see in person. But online, we're encouraged to just reveal everything, as if everyone's our friends. And um, that's very dangerous. That that can lead to all sorts of woe. So um, it, it's uh, I, w- I would heed this advice. I would... Um, try to remember the things, uh, the fibs that, that you tell, uh, and, and make that a different sort of reality. Become a different persona because, uh, that's, that's a way of, um, uh, learning more about yourself, I think. And be playful. Like, if, if, with the knowledge that, yeah, maybe, maybe someone somewhere somehow will realize this. This happens to, um, I think Comey had a fake Twitter account and he was outed that's for right, it. You remember did. that? Yeah. 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 So, like, I don't know. It just, have a sense of humor about it. Don't be too paranoid, but you know, cover yourself, you know, as as best you can, but be playful and and realize that if as Alex suggested, like if there is a motivated party out there that wants to um run all your pictures through facial recognition software or, you know, do all kinds of that stuff to try to really dial in who you are, okay, fine, you know, oh, you got me. But be ready for that. Be be like be open to the possibility that it's not going to be a hundred percent protection because you're phys- you're putting yourself on the platform. I mean, even with this breach, I'm worried about IP addresses, you know, mm-hmm. last login, how many, I know Google keeps track of that when you log in. So you well, know. that's all the more reason for VPNs mm-hmm. and, and people need to learn how to use VPNs so they can come from different places and that's an extra, hide their Mac address. I mean, kids yeah. are using, you know, a Mac address randomizers to hide from their parents. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so maybe we should learn something from them. But another, another very important thing that, that um, I, I think a lot of us fall victim to uh, are uh, uh, remembering passwords. Um, either we choose passwords that are, um, are very insecure or are defaults that come with certain devices, or we trust uh, uh, some outside entity. We've been talking about this for a long time, and guess what? It happened. December 22nd, 2022, online password management service LastPass revealed that hackers had obtained extensive information from user accounts such as billing and email addresses, end usernames, telephone numbers, IP address info. Also leaked was customer vault data, which includes both unencrypted data such as website URLs and encrypted data like website usernames and passwords, secure notes, and form-filled data. Uh, A previously announced hack of customer data in August of 2022 apparently opened the door to this 
and more serious data breaches. So <laughs> basically now there's all these different uh, arenas that the um, uh, battle is being fought in. Um, and if if you are compromised on a, a company um, like LastPass, which, by the way, has been hit with a class action lawsuit in response to this breach, um, then all of a sudden uh, you have to worry about much more than just losing one password. You could lose everything. If, um, if, if, if they're completely compromised and all of your passwords are exposed, we're talking identity theft at that point. Um, so... You know, it is possible for you to um, uh, have very secure passwords if you just um, engage in a few tricks, like, say, use the first um, uh, letter of a sentence that is is rather long, but you remember it word for word, and every first letter is um, is is a part of the um, part of the password, and you can you can uh, basically change the case. You can be lowercase at the beginning or at the end. Do things that only you would remember, and you can apply this for uh, for many passwords without having to write things down or or worry about not remembering it. There are little tricks, all sorts of little tricks. It doesn't involve giving everything away to some trusted entity that turns out to make a big mistake and bring you down with them. Folks, any any thoughts on this? Yeah, anytime you you add another entity between you and your stuff, that's another point of failure. That's uh, just very basic um, sort of security uh, concepts right there. And uh, so, yeah, if there's something else you depend on and something else you have to give your information to, that's something else that can go wrong. I just want to um, mainly to remind myself, uh, because I catch myself, the temptation to reuse. Don't reuse passwords. Don't use it in any other place than the one place where you use it. Just don't. I know it's tempting. I'm, I've been there, too. And uh, you think, oh, I'll never really use this system. I'm just mm -hmm. testing this out. I'll, I'll use the one I always use. Right. Don't do it. Right. Make a different one. If that's not a, a, a system someone has access to, okay, maybe you write it on something just because it's temporary and you're testing something. But Here's then throw the tape away when you're done, you know, if you tape something to it. But don't reuse it. Just always use different ones. Here's my trick, and I'm going to reveal actual passwords I use, and it's, I, I feel secure doing this because I'm not telling you what I'm using them for. But I use the password, and guess this is, is kind of clever. The password is password <laughs> because it's a password, and no one would ever think that I actually used the word password. P-A-S-S-W-O-R-D, uh, you know, regular. But then for the next system I use, I replace the A with an at sign. So it's P at sign, S-S-W-O-R-D. And basically, I just go down the keyboard for every single um, uh, system I use. And I have different passwords, all different passwords for, for uh, what? You're looking at me disapprovingly, Kyle. Is that not a good system? I would, I would, uh, I would put the caveat, don't, don't um, do derivations, you know, mm. uh, uh, variations of, of on the theme of a password. Like if you use a phrase like I hate typing passwords, don't use, I kind of hate typing passwords necessarily right. for, um, you know, a system, a related system or something adjacent or, you know, that, that someone would say, Hmm, maybe it's the same one as this, or maybe it's, you know, some variation or they're using, you know, rainbow tables and, and it comes up. I right. don't know, but, right. but, uh, you should try to, try to keep them, either very unintelligible or a phrase that's never used or a combination of a lot of weird stuff and phrases, whatever you can do, just uh, do what's comfortable for you yes. and uh, keep it different. Gila. Hi. Welcome. Um, I'm sorry. I was late. Uh, thank the MTA for that. But um, so I have a password tip that I got from someone 
uh, years ago who used one of their childhood phone numbers but replaced some of the numbers with the letters that you'd find on the keypad. Mm-hmm. And he said the only people who were going to be able to guess that password were his siblings, and he was pretty okay with that. But, so there you go. There's a there's a tip. Until the um, siblings go, you know, dark and, uh, and, and wind up working against you, you know. So true. So then don't tell your siblings that you've done that. But um, the other thought that I had, though, going back to LastPass for a second, um, thinking about identity theft and thinking about people who have LastPass accounts that may still be active but don't have the ability to get in there and change their stuff. Um, you know, not to bring everybody down, but my late father had a LastPass account. He had a lot of stuff in there. And what's going to come from that is I'm curious. You know, we hadn't ever downloaded his Twitter stuff, so his Twitter account is still active. There are things that we deactivated after he passed away, but there's stuff that we just didn't think about. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious how that inf- – like, I'm actually now terrified of what could happen to that. So sorry, that's where my mind went. When we well, I mean, this is going to become <laughs> more and more of an issue with all of us in the coming yeah. years, uh, things that these companies probably have never never thought of. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I've thought of this too. Um, I had, um, let's say a relative or family friend that, that, um, had a, an email account that was compromised. And I, I immediately thought of the other people related to them because they may have gotten past it. Like, oh, it's, you know, no big deal. I just made another account and they moved on. But I think it's good, you know, some of us maybe with, um, uh, um, a mind for it can maybe, help them understand that this actually, you know, whatever information was in there could still be used in some way. It's not over just because you made a new account and you're, you've accepted that you lost access or that someone gained access to all of uh, those correspondence. Um, you need to continue to uh, be vigilant for people exploiting what information was there. And if it's, um, you know, correspondence uh, with uh you know, whatever it is, bills or, or, uh, personal finance, all that stuff, uh, uh, intimate, you know, uh, letters, uh, you know, uh, regarding, uh, family well-being and so forth, you know, that all of that, it's, it's very, uh, personal stuff that, uh, people have in these webmail accounts. And it's just good to, to remember, you know, that you should try to remember what was, what was lost and, and how it might be used, um, if, if it is in the future. All right. Well, speaking of things that um, seem obvious, uh, we have to learn hard mistakes anyway. Um, I don't know if everybody's been uh, focused on this. I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but uh, California has, um, for some reason, decided it's a good idea to digitize license plates. In fact, I'm looking at a Gizmodo story right now where they basically describe it this way. The past several years, California has been on a weird mission to digitize its car tags uh, advocates claim this modernization effort will offer a host of benefits to drivers, really, uh, including visual uh, personalization and easy in-app registration renewal, because, yeah, that's really what we need. Um, but we all know, <laughs> if you're going to do something like that, it's going to get hacked. It's going to get hacked. And it did. It did. There's a, a story that just uh, came out. Security researchers have hacked um, digital license plates. 
um, yeah, only a few months after the California legislature passed a law to, to legalize these digital plates. Uh, that is exactly what happened. Um, in a blog post published last week, bug hunter Sam Curry noted that he and his friends had recently managed to attain full super administrative access to all of the user accounts linked to the company called uh, Reviver. Uh, they're responsible for selling California's modernized plates. Uh, Reviver sells a thing called the R-plate or a smart plate. Why isn't it called the S-plate then? R-plate. Okay. Uh, basically, it's a battery-powered digital display that gets affixed to a vehicle's rear and then projects the car's information. Battery-powered? What happens when the battery runs out? That seems so How dumb. How is this different from a license plate? I'm looking at it. It's literally what's... a screen that has a license plate. What's wrong license with license plates? Plate? That's so simple. I'm surprised they didn't make it like machine readable, like a just a barcode so no one can read plates. So the plate, I'll get to barcodes in a second. The, the plate allows users to uh, share different graphics and words on the plate because that's been always the complaint that you can't do that. Uh, it also comes with an app that includes car monitoring and safety features. Safety features for a license plate? Uh, the going, I don't know what that sounds. That's code for something else. The going rate for one of these things, uh, also available in Arizona and Michigan, because why not? Um, only twenty bucks a month. Yeah, twenty bucks a month. So now you get to pay a uh, hundred and twenty. Uh, no, wait, you, you get to pay. Why can't I do math anymore? Uh, Five, uh, uh, over two hundred, uh, two hundred and forty dollars a year. It's a lot just to have a license plate. Um, yeah, unfortunately, Reviver's pricey high-tech solution also comes with some high-tech problems. Uh, Curry and his friends investigated the Reviver app and website, discovering a vulnerability that allowed them to gain full administrative access to all user accounts and vehicles for all uh, Reviver-connected vehicles. So not just hacking into one license plate, hacking into all of them. Now, what could they do with this access? Among other things, they found they had the power to track the GPS locations of every single registered user manipulate data on users' plates, i.e. send a message to the cop behind you. Uh, <laughs> and even, oh my, the, the, the mind boggles, even report specific vehicles as stolen because they have this thing. If you look at the graphic of this article, above the license plate number, it says stolen. Like that's the name of the, of the, of the car dealership that you bought the car at. It's, and that's supposed to, uh, it's, I guess, the equivalent of mobile swatting. You know, you basically get all these cops to pull you over because your car uh, says is advertising that it's stolen. You know, I can go on with all the things that they can do, all the mayhem they could wreak, but um, it's stupidity. You know, buying into something like this, fixing a problem that isn't there. I mean, is anyone surprised that this happened? I'm surprised it happened so quickly, but I think we all knew it was coming. Go ahead, Rob. Not, not only is this not only is this fixing a pro problem that isn't there, but it's causing so many more problems. I mean, if you think about where the license plates are in a vehicle, and you're driving around, things are flying around on the ground, on the road. Uh, little bits of things are always uh, getting flung at cars and chipping paint and stuff. And now you have an expensive electronic screen there instead of a, a plate made of metal that uh, can take a few scratches. This, this is uh, this is amazing. I'm looking at the picture of this thing on uh, Gizmodo and. Uh, yeah, it, it it also it also seems like uh, there there are really no upsides to this that uh, that do the job better than a plain piece of metal license plate. Yeah, this seems like uh, California being a victim of its own success with uh, tech and innovation. Like they just want to keep on the the cutting edge to kind of uh, uh, validate their own importance, even if it's a flop. 
Okay, I think I figured out why anyone would want this thing. Though. Yeah, tell us. Like, so because I'm I'm looking at uh, someone tore it apart. So it's an e-ink screen, so that's kind of cool. But basically, the example here is like if you're in a parking garage, you don't need to you don't need to put the paper thing in the on your dashboard <laughs> because your license plate will say that paid. Wow, the time that would save in my life. It's a no-brainer. But it ha- if it has a GPS that knows where you where the car is, like that's a uh, that's wonky. Yeah, because it's not just the car; it's you because you're in the car. <laughs> it's it's a tracking device that will always know where you are. Yeah, like you're giving the Department of License Department of Motor Vehicles their own like kind of GPS tracker, like LoJack, and but it's basically for their purposes. So yeah. your speed, all anything GPS can tell you. Uh huh. Uh huh. Arsene, I have to ask, what is motor vehicles like in Russia? It, it must be it must be a different level. Oh well, listen, I I just never had the opportunity to buy a license, but my friends, you know, all went through that process. Um, and, uh, what else? It's, uh, 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 oh, here's, here's an interesting one. Uh, you can be pulled over by a police officer in a taxi and can be fully searched. And that's very scary. You mean the passenger Um, can get pulled over somehow? Well, I mean, the, the taxi gets pulled over and you can be fully, you can be searched. Um, the passenger can be searched. Uh, you know, great way to find guns and drugs, but like, I don't... Well, you know, there's no reasonable, uh, there's no reason for that, uh-huh. um, and that, and that's off. That's that's spooky. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, seatbelts uh, not required in in cars. I think I've I've been I've been in several cars that don't have seatbelts in the front. Wow. I mean, we used to do that. Um, fell out of <laughs> favor. Those same cars. I mean, there are people who say that's an overreach of the government to require this. Um, but uh, yeah, that's 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 an argument I don't want to get into. Uh, Rob, go ahead. Yeah, just thinking about these digital license plates. Um, I mean, there there are things that the plane license plates have enough of a problem doing. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the stories that have been going around lately about uh, people taping things to their license plates, like sticking a, pl- a piece of plastic or a leaf or something, so their license plates can't get picked up by the scanners at things like toll toll gates, um, so that uh, they can get through without paying. And uh, that's kind of an epidemic in this city. They can't stop people from doing that, but they're going to uh, instead introduce things like this that you could do all sorts of other uh, shenanigans with. I mean, that would be fun. Uh, change your license plate to someone else's license plate, and they can pay all your tolls for you. I, I, I just yes. thought, as you said that, what about everybody has like the same license plates, like Spartacus license plate? Oh, wow, Spartacus. That's a great <laughs> license plate. Everybody is racking it up on one plate. Oh, it's one letter too much in New York. You can't. You can only have eight eight characters. Good idea, though. Good idea. Uh, I said I was going to get to barcodes. Actually, it's it's QR codes. Uh, the city of Melbourne, uh, in Australia, um, has this um, this system where uh, they're they're fighting they're fighting graffiti. Okay, uh, and um, they're fighting graffiti by by putting up these QR codes everywhere. Uh, and it says scan to report graffiti and street waste and people are supposed to use their phones and scan and I, I guess it tells them the location of where they are and they go out and they clean up the graffiti well it turns out somebody is replacing all the QR codes with another QR code uh, <laughs> and those uh, QR codes uh, forward to a documentary about hip hop culture on YouTube and that documentary explores graffiti as part of hip hop culture it's ingenious um, it, it really has saddened the the, uh, the Melbourne Lord Mayor 
uh, Sally Cap. It couldn't just be a mayor. It have to be a Lord Mayor. Okay. Um, Sally Cap said it was not yet known how many of the QR codes had been vandalized. Is that the right word? Vandalized or just simply replaced or modified or. Uh, uh, but um, they believed it was still small in number. The hacking of the QR codes is so frustrating, <laughs> Lord Mayor said. I think it gives people some insight into what we're dealing with these vandals, um, with, uh, with taggers and with graffiti across our city. The brilliance of this is, though, how do you know which QR code it is? They look the same. You have to actually scan it yourself, and it probably is an advantage to the people on the other end if you go to their site over and over again. Um, the city of Melbourne is investigating how many of the QR codes have been affected and is assessing whether an alternative will be needed in the future. Our team is replacing the QR codes where we've become aware they've been patched over. Um, <laughs> they've really gone into detail about this. The Lord Mayor said the city of Melbourne had initiated discussions with Victoria Police and would draw on CCTV footage to see how we can catch these culprits. The QR codes have been instrumental in helping us be more responsive to cleaning the city. We've cleaned more than 150,000 square meters. Okay, you know what? This goes several pages more. <laughs> How about this? Lord Mayor, if I may say so, why don't you just put up a sign with a phone number on it or a website or something like that? You know, why do you need the QR code? Because you can't tell when the QR code has been replaced. <laughs> and and the phone number at least, well, I guess it could replace the phone number, but um, I don't know. People have been dealing with this for a long time. It really shouldn't be this much of a challenge for you. And I think graffiti has evolved. It's not what it was in the 70s and 80s. And she's yeah, uh, rightly saying, yeah, this points out what we're dealing with. We're dealing with people that are passionate and they have more reason than ever uh, to be putting statements up and, and uh, uh, getting their message out there. There's a lot of uh, enthusiasm for uh, public art and murals and and uh, and tagging and stuff. People are people have a lot of different um uh reasons to be to be uh spraying on stuff and getting getting being subversive in that way uh mm -hmm. because so many other areas of life seem to be like ever more controlled and and uh you know uh, less free in 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 that way in that form of expression and um and uh as the times change you know the the tools and techniques you know graffiti artists are um have that that um they they know what this technology is and and it just doesn't surprise me that they would innovate and uh in a kind of snarky way go ahead alex and this this whole notion of replacing qr codes as well is, is something that we have talked about uh, i think a couple of times on on the show over the last couple of years and you know and qr codes essentially just serve you up a url anything that gives you a url or a web address shouldn't innately be trusted by any means but yet we've become so conditioned to trusting QR codes throughout the pandemic. If you remember, all the restaurants removed their menus because we had this crazy notion that we know now that the coronavirus could, could just spread very easily through touching things. And so menus were removed and QR codes that would link to a menu were replaced in nearly every single restaurant that you went in from the middle of 2020 until today. I mean, so many of these restaurants still just have QR codes as opposed to to printing menus, it drives me absolutely nuts because I, I hate using the QR codes. But it's something I'd, I'd said years ago is that I'm really surprised we don't hear people replacing these QR codes to link to some kind of phishing site or to, or basically to push out malware to a particular phone. 
I mean, it would be a really easy way to do this because everybody trusts these QR codes. I mean, you think I think it was the Super Bowl last year where you even had a, uh, a commercial. It was a Coinbase commercial, I think, of a QR code just bouncing around the television screen. You know, and, and probably thousands of CISOs and, and, and security practitioners around the world are just smacking themselves in the head saying, oh, my God, you know, all this training about not trusting URLs and QR codes has just gone out the window because all our employees probably just, you know, raise their, their phones to the screen trying to figure out what the hell that commercial was about. So um, QR codes can be dangerous. Uh, they can be fun. I've got a, a QR code morale patch, actually, that Rick rolls anybody that would uh, you know, put it up to my jacket. So there's all kinds of fun things you can do, but they're really dangerous too. I, uh, Go ahead. I had a little uh, Russian story. So it sounds like the it sounds like the point of these QR codes is if you want to report graffiti, scan this code that gives you like a phone number, and then you call and say, hey, there's a at this spot, there's whatever. So very surprisingly, uh, in Saint Petersburg and in Moscow, you can take pictures of violations. For example, a garbage can is not cleaned, and there's an app where you just submit the photo, and by law they have to respond. Uh, within five days or whatever, and it it really works. And then of course the the joke is that you know if you want your garbage can clean faster, if, or if you want the snow out, you know just write some politician's name on it, um, you know, in graffiti, and take a picture. It'll get clean. Wow. But it surprisingly, it does work. That is something. Hey, folks, we're at the end of our hour, uh, but we are going to be um, going to YouTube for overtime at eight p.m. Go to channel twenty six hundred on YouTube or simply. Go to the URL at the top of the 2600.com webpage. Um, I wanted to spend a moment, though, uh, on um, what is a, a rather uh, sad anniversary, uh, a very sad anniversary. In fact, it's uh, 10 years to the day uh, that we lost one of our brightest stars in the hacker world, Aaron Schwartz. Um, I can't believe it's been it's been 10 years. Um, he um, took his life after being targeted by the federal government for the crime of trying to make academic papers more accessible uh it's um it's it, it's a, a crazy story uh a story that would take a long time to um to really go into and and it has been documented quite well i just wanted to give um the opportunity to anybody who wanted to say anything about aaron uh, who was on off the hook once and uh was just such a pleasure to talk to somebody who um had such ideas it just makes me realize that um when you when you target somebody, uh, you know, with with all the weight of um, of the legal system, um, oftentimes you don't know what you're doing to an individual. You don't know the pressure that that can create. You don't know the harm that that can cause. And I don't think those responsible have ever been held to account for for the loss that they're responsible for. Um, yes, Alex, go ahead. You know, I, I want to say you know, at Hope this past summer. You know, we addressed the actual law that has been now uh, the, the prosecutorial guidelines for the Department of Justice for the law that Aaron Schwartz was charged under, the CFAA, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, have been revised now to provide for an ethical hacking exemption. And had that revision been in place when Aaron had uh, been or when charges were even thought or, or when a prosecutor was thinking of bringing charges against Aaron, they probably wouldn't have occurred. It probably would never have been charged. And so you, you look at just how quickly times have changed here. And one of the things that always stuck with me is that, you know, we had a, an FBI agent who was on the panel, the, the HOPE panel that uh, I put together and we were discussing this. 
And, and we brought up the Aaron Schwartz case. This was not something that we ignored at Hope. And his response, I thought, was really, really heartfelt because an FBI agent who investigates cybercrime said he thought it was a tragedy that, that Aaron was charged and that it was a real tragedy that we don't have his voice today because he was such a bright star and such an incredible mind and that it would be wonderful to have his thoughts on things like content moderation on these data breaches of a week and and you know how how technology can be used and abused in society so you know we've really come a long way it's sad what happened and i can't believe it's been 10 years and with that we'll have to close the show for tonight you can write to us oth at 2600.com uh, but please join us on uh, youtube channel 2600 and of course join us here on wbai next week at 7 p.m. and please support WBAI.org. Good night, everyone. Will you please remember me? We never, never meet again. Will you please remember me? I'll always be your friend I want to go Go back home I can't find my way I want to go Go back home I guess I'll get Lucky one day Once I had I had a few good days They're all behind me now Once I had a few good days Guess I'll get by somehow
break for the tower fund here at WBAI. And without that tower, we can't stay on the air. Please, just give what you can. And those contributions can be small or they can be large, but those are the contributions that we need to make in order to beat back the other side. No one is going to do it for us. Even a few dollars a month helps to keep us on the air. Let's face it. Without Pacifica, what do you have? NPR is too milk toast. PBS, too milk toast. Without Pacifica, we're dead in the water. And that pledge line is 212-209-2950. 212-209-2950. And we're only asking those who can give it, those who can afford it. We know that there's some people out there who cannot afford it, and that's one of the problems. Those of us who relatively have must stand up for those who have not. I'm sick and tired of hearing people complain about, well, you know, the right wing has Fox News and, and they have this and they have that. The oppressor always has more money than the oppressed. We have to make use of the resources that we have. We have people and we have people that can make contributions. Here on WBAI 99.5 FM, we want to have the tower fun strong and healthy so we're not worried about it 212-209-2950 or you can go online at wbai.org and donate to the tower fund 